Welcome to the PCOS Diva podcast. My name is Amy Medling. I'm a certified health coach and founder of PCOS Diva. My mission is to help women with PCOS find the tools and knowledge they need to take control of their PCOS so they can regain their fertility, femininity, health, and happiness. Today's PCOS Diva podcast is sponsored by the seven-day Discover Your PCOS Diva Jumpstart program. Jumpstart is the place to begin when you're ready to commit to yourself and jump into your healing journey. Learn step-by-step how diet, lifestyle, and mindset changes can get you on the right path. You'll be thrilled to feel your energy return, brain fog lift, acne begin to clear, and so much more. Visit PCOSDiva.com slash jumpstart for more information and to get started today. If you haven't already, make sure you check out PCOSDiva.com. There I offer tons of great free information about PCOS and how to develop your PCOS diet and lifestyle plan so you can begin to thrive like a PCOS diva. Look for me on iTunes, Facebook, Pinterest, and Instagram as well. In today's podcast, I welcome back Dr. Felice Gersh. She's a multi-award winning physician with dual board certifications in OBGYN and integrative medicine, which is fairly rare. She is the founder and director of the Integrative Medical Group of Irvine. It's a practice that provides comprehensive healthcare for women by combining the best evidence-based therapies from conventional, naturopathic, and holistic medicine. And she is the best-selling author of PCOS SOS and her brand new book, PCOS SOS Fertility Fast Track. And she is also a... uh, regular contributor to PCOS Diva, which I feel very blessed um, to have her on the podcast again today. So welcome, Dr. Gersh. Oh, Amy, I'm so happy to be joining you again today. So as I mentioned, we're going to be, uh, you have a a new book, PCOS SOS Fertility Fast Track, and we're going to be kind of basing our podcast today off of your new book, which is Really fantastic. I've read it over um, the last couple of days and uh, learned uh, many new things that you're going to be sharing with um, our audience today. Uh, But first, I would love for you to just talk about um, women with PCOS and why kind of taking control of your lifestyle even before you think about getting pregnant is so important. It, um, we were talking before we got on the, the, the podcast about how just, you know, kind of going along with your standard American diet and then maybe taking an ovulation inducing drug to try to get pregnant really isn't the optimal way to approach fertility. Well, it turns out that fertility is a a basic sign, a vital sign of the health status of a woman. And in ancient times, they actually knew this. They would worship fertility gods. They knew that fertility was a vital essence of health and happiness. And now we have sort of forgotten that. In fact, we spend most of our efforts trying to squash and destroy fertility temporarily, hopefully. But we forget that 
when a woman has fertility problems and has to you know, really work hard to get pregnant, it means that there's some underlying issues. It seems so obvious when you say it, right? That if you have fertility problems, there's something going on in the body. So what we don't want to do is just go on fertility drugs and then trick the body into ovulating. You want to be healthy and hopefully spontaneously get pregnant. But if that doesn't happen, and sometimes no matter how hard we try, we do have to use some assisted reproductive technologies. But even if we go that route, we want to make sure the woman is optimally healthy before actually conceiving. We now know that what happens in pregnancy, if we just focus on the baby, it sets really the path for that child for their entire life, how the genes are expressed, the underlying health of that child is really very, very based on what happens in the pregnancy, which seems so also obvious when you think about it, because it really, we know from so much data that if an unhealthy woman somehow achieves pregnancy through luck or through different techniques, and gets through that pregnancy, that child is more likely to have a whole slew of issues, whether it's ADHD or even increased risk of autism or things like metabolic syndrome, diabetes, diabetes and weight gain at younger ages, um, cardiometabolic issues, mood problems. All those things are actually set because now we understand that during pregnancy, that's when all the endocrine system is occurring and developing. The brain is developing. And it's also very important to be aware, and I know we'll talk about this more, about the level of toxins that you have in your body because those also can bioaccumulate in the fetus and affect how the very endocrine system is developed, the hormone receptors, their functionality, and so forth. And as for the mother, she is much more prone to having pregnancy complications, gestational diabetes, preterm labor and preterm delivery, preeclampsia, all of these different problems, even like placental abruption, growth-restricted babies, all these problems are more prominent in women who are unhealthy at the time they conceive. So being healthy before you conceive is to help you to be healthy through your pregnancy, reduce complications, have a healthier baby, and be more successful in terms of getting pregnant in the first place. Well, I love that you have written this book. Uh, it's a follow-up to your first book, PCOS SOS, which is excellent. And we did a podcast on that uh, a while back, and I will link it in the show notes. Um, but what I love about this book is if you are thinking about trying to conceive, uh, this is a 12-week plan to optimize your chances of a successful pregnancy and a healthy baby. And you really take us week by week with action items and to-dos of how to really get on track. And we're going to talk about some of the nuts and bolts um, about, you know, of, of the what to-dos in, in a little bit. But I'm reading the book, I was kind of sensing an overarching theme of um, taking care of three areas uh, in your health. So um, one was circadian cycle and getting that on track. And you're one of the few uh, experts out there, I think, that have been really talking about the importance of circadian cycle and PCOS. So I'd love for you to address that. The other uh, piece is creating a healthy microbiome. 
And then finally, as you alluded to, endocrine disruptors and really uh, trying to eliminate those as, as best you can. So maybe you can walk us through a little bit deeper those three steps. Well, sure. When it comes to metabolic health, emotional health, immune health, it all links to circadian rhythm. And as we'll see, all of these things intertwine. You know, there's no standalone in the body. They're all beautiful interlinking systems and, and all of it comes into play, particularly when you're dealing with fertility. So it turns out that the ovaries are very circadian. Most people don't know that. Now, circadian is based on the 24-hour rotation of Earth. We are all Earthlings. I know I love science fiction. I grew up with Star Trek and at Star Wars and all of that, but we are actually evolved to be on planet Earth, and planet Earth has many beautiful rotations, and one of the primary rotations is on its axis, the 24-hour rotation that gives you the day and night variation. So we humans are what are called diurnal. That means we're day creatures. Now, like an owl is nocturnal, and mice and rodents are nocturnal, so they're very active during the night, they sleep during the day. As, as we are diurnal, we are active during the day, and then we are supposed to sleep at night. Of course, in our society, that isn't always the case. We have something like 20, 30% of all employed people work into the night in some fashion. So there's some form of shift workers. And I was one of them because I did deliveries. And it turns out that many women, and this is actually programmed by our genes, go into labor at night. And that makes sense. They labor through the night when it's dark and it's safer because what's a pregnant woman in labor going to do to defend herself in the middle of labor? So she, it's safer at night under the cloak of darkness. And then she delivers in the early morning hours. So I was up at night with my patients and delivering them in the early morning hours. And so, but some people are in a circadian dysfunctional state even though they don't work at night, they may intentionally stay up at night because they just feel more alert. And we'll talk about that. They feel more energized at night. They call themselves night owls, which actually, I hate to tell you, you're not an owl. So if you feel more energized at night, that's a sign of a circadian rhythm problem in your body. And then there are some people that just can't seem to fall asleep at night. They just have so much trouble with with sleep issues, and that is very common in women with PCOS. So now that we understand that the ovaries, actually every cell in our bodies, with maybe the exception of red blood cells, but they all have clock genes. They're all on the timer. In our brain, there's a group of cells, a group of neurons called the suprachiasmatic nucleus. This is the master clock. It sits atop the optic nerve and actually has connections to the eye, to the retina, where there are special sensors of light and dark and send the signal to these special neurons in the master clock, which then sends out signals throughout the entire body to synchronize all the organs together. And as we'll talk about, there's sort of a secret back doorway through the microbiome to help us to regulate our rhythms even when our master clock is a little bit off, off kilter, which is what happens in women with PCOS. So because we now have plenty of data that women who do work at night and have the night shift issues, they have much greater incidence of infertility, irregular cycles, mood problems, weight gain, insulin resistance, all the things that women with PCOS are fighting. It's really that we can reframe PCOS as really 
a circadian rhythm disorder. So essentially, women with PCOS are living a life of jet lag, like, like they're crossing across major time zones all the time, or they're up at night very you know, commonly and so forth. And so the ovaries, which have clock genes and have receptors to melatonin, that critically important hormone that's produced at night, and they don't get enough of it if you don't get proper circadian rhythm and proper sleep, the ovary will not function properly, will not ovulate on cue. So recognizing this, it's changed a lot of my approach to treating PCOS to help women align with their circadian rhythm. And, and that's what a lot of the book is about, you know, getting to bed at the right time, eating at the right time, and helping because it turns out our microbes in our gut, the microbiome, like every living creature on this planet, they too have clock genes. And I call that the back doorway to help set our circadian rhythm is through timed eating. Like when you eat is just as important as what you eat. So by harnessing this new knowledge, we have amazing new tools to, with lifestyle, not drugs, to help women with PCOS to get back on the beat and to get back into the rhythms that our beautiful bodies were evolved to have to enable and facilitate ovulation and fertility. And I just want listeners to know that I will, you wrote two great articles for our site, a part one and part two on circadian cycle a few years back. And it really gives you some specific details on how to kind of hack your circadian cycle. So we will link those in the show notes as well. Um, I was wondering if you could just speak to supplementing with melatonin. Uh, I'm um, seeing a lot more women uh, taking melatonin at night to kind of help with their circadian cycle. Do you think that's a good idea? It can be, but I'll tell you, um, oh, sometimes with, with melatonin, less is more. You know how that is, mm-hmm. like sometimes people overdose. So what I always like to start with is sort of the more natural approach and if sort of enabling the body to make its own melatonin, right? We want to harness our innate mechanisms to heal. And melatonin has its own rhythms. So like everything, is, everything is rhythmic. So melatonin should naturally peak around 2 a.m. And that's when our cortisol should actually be at its lowest point. It's sort of like they're at opposites in terms of ups and downs. And so we really would be best off if we could have our natural melatonin rhythms and peaking naturally around 2 a.m. So I always try to start with sort of encouraging the body to do its thing naturally. So I encourage women to watch the sunset. It's like so amazing. You know, like I said, we're earthlings. We are designed to be outside. Now we tend to be inside like so much of the time. So it turns out that being outside is very beneficial, like watching the sunrise. Well, I know everyone isn't gonna get up early enough to watch the sunrise, but that is actually a wonderful thing to do. But watching the sunset, pretty much everybody could manage that one. And the colors of the sunset, and I I know we can talk about this a little bit, like people know that blue light that comes off of our screens, the television screens, the computer screens, that they are very bad for really enabling sleep. That's why they have the amber, which I recommend, you know, amber blocking glasses that help block the, the blue light. 
And of course, my preference is to avoid screens for as many hours as possible. I mean, I'll start with one hour, I'll go to two hours, I prefer three hours, but I'm always a realist about what people are doing. And then they could wear the amber glasses, change the apps on their devices to try to block out the blue light. Well, it turns out that looking at the sunset and the beautiful colors of the sunset actually start to suppress our cortisol. So our cortisol levels will start to drop and we'll start to increase the production of melatonin and prepare our bodies. It's like we know when we see the sunset that night is coming and our bodies will prepare for it naturally so that our melatonin will start to rise, our cortisol will start to drop, we'll start to feel sleepy and hopefully calm and peaceful. And so just taking a drop of melatonin a while before actually you're going to go to sleep, you know, could be two to four, even as much as six hours, and people could experiment a little bit with this, to take only 0.5 milligrams. So it's just like a touch of melatonin, just to say to the body, sort of to give it a cue. It's like, hey guys, we're going to go to bed in a few hours. Let's start winding down. So that along with all of the other things like winding down and having a sleep routine, we call it sleep hygiene, to kind of get the body into that pathway to facilitate sleep, which is sometimes so difficult for women with PCOS to do that, to actually feel tired and go to bed when they should, because they often have this flip circadian rhythm where they actually have high cortisol at night and low in the morning. So they have to drink a lot of coffee in the morning. They feel kind of groggy. They don't really get going for a while. And then at night, it's like, whoa, I'm feeling more alert than ever. And it's like, what's with that? So we want, that's not good. So well, we and I. Yeah. And I was just going to say the coffee in the morning, kind of, you drink that till it's time for wine in the evening. <laughs> that's right. And that's the worst thing you can do is drink alcohol at night. We can talk more if, if people you know are interested in that topic, but basically, so taking a, just a little bit of melatonin and then maybe um, towards bedtime, like when maybe in the last half hour to hour before bed, you can have like one milligram. Now I will go up higher if I need to, you know, so that's where I sort of work with what I call personalized precision medicine. So if I'm going to give sort of blanket advice to people, I would say, you know, go with the half a milligram, um, two to four hours before you go to bed, and then half hour to an hour and experiment a little bit, go to one milligram. But you know, when I work individually with patients, I may go up to two milligrams, I may go to three, I may use a sustained release. That's where I have to sort of use my, you know, the interaction with the patient and what's happening with her and sort of finesse it. When people travel across time zones, I usually give them something like five or six milligrams of melatonin, but just for three days. So on occasion, I might even do that. But this is where I'm working one-on-one -on -one with mm -hmm. each patient mm -hmm. where, um, I, you know, I have to sort of, you know, personalize what I'm doing. So let's move on to microbiome. Um, you, you've written a great article about taming the flames of PCOS. And, uh, you know, we know that inflammation is a root factor. Um, and if you are looking to, you know, have a, a healthy pregnancy and to conceive, uh, just tell us more about the role microbiome plays and what else we could do um, or maybe talk a little bit more about timed eating uh, around. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So we now know that we are super organisms. So our DNA is not all we are. We are working in this beautiful synergy 
with these microscopic creatures. And we focus primarily on bacteria, but we know it's actually more complicated than that. There's other things involved, but we'll focus primarily on the bacteria and we call it the microbiome. So it turns out that we were wrong, medical people, that in many organs we thought were sterile are actually filled with bacteria, different amounts. And so every single structure in our body has its own unique microbiome. The largest collection, the largest microbiome consists of trillions of bacteria in the large intestine, the colon. The other areas of the intestinal tract also have microbes, but lower numbers. And the biggest number, like I said, is in the colon. And this is what we typically refer to as the gut microbiome. And it turns out that this interplay between them and us is just profound. It's changed our view of what it means to be a human being, because it turns out that these microbes inside of us are actually like busy little factories. They actually make neurotransmitters. They make hormones. They, they produce what are called short-chain fatty acids, butyrate, acetate, um, propionate. And like butyrate, which has sort of gotten a lot of attention, actually can travel through the body, go to the brain and reduce inflammation in the brain. It actually has receptors on a, a big finger of the brain called the vagus nerve, which actually controls the autonomic nervous system, particularly the parasympathetic or the calming arm of the autonomic nervous system. And if you don't have the right microbial population, you don't make the right short-chain fatty acids. These also do tremendous amounts of signaling with the liver to keep the liver functioning properly. And these microbes, like I mentioned, also have their own clock genes and they have different populations that sort of develop and become prominent at different times of the day or night. And the nighttime ones that sort of swarm in the presence of melatonin and there are particular cells in the gut lining that actually make melatonin. Many people have heard this, that the gut makes at least as much melatonin as the brain and the melatonin actually is interacting and altering how the gut microbial populations are functioning. And it's just this amazing complex sort of interaction that sets everything into correct or incorrect motion in our bodies. So having the right microbial populations and having the food that comes in at the right time, because our little microbes, they don't know what time of day it is. The way that they set their own clocks is by the time that food comes into them. And then they feed off of primarily fiber. So we want to have a wonderful array of different fibers in our diets because different microbes are like different types of fibers. We want to have a beautiful array of different types of vegetables because the vegetables have what I call the secret sauce, the magic sauce, the polyphenols that are getting so much attention and research these days. And they actually align differently with different microbes. So it's sort of like a dance of between the polyphenols and the microbes and the microbes are feeding off the fiber. And then the, the right fats also matter. So if you have a diet that's really high in saturated fat, that actually suppresses a lot of the beneficial microbes and you get an altered or dysbiotic gut microbiome and you're going to have altered production of the protective mucus, and then you can get impaired gut barrier, which we call leaky gut. And when you have the wrong gut microbes, they make particles that are really harmful. We can call them, they're called lipopolysaccharides, but we also call them 
endotoxins. So think of it as toxins from within, within the lumen of the gut that can actually pass through between cells of the lining of the gut, and we call that leaky gut, and inside the body, just lining the gut, are all of these immune cells. And when they see this toxic stuff coming in, they explode with their inflammatory contents, creating, like you mentioned, that inflammation that underlies so many of the problems that women with PCOS have. And much of that inflammation that is so destructive to female health and, and the ovaries and, and the brain and all the different organs is actually coming from this dysbiotic, abnormal gut microbial population that we can actually remedy through getting our timing of our eating, that we get a big breakfast, which is when we're most receptive to food and eating the right food and then stop snacking. So we eat on the beat. So our, we, if, if we don't have the right signals coming from our master clock, because we have this sort of like, sort of like a drunk sort of a master clock, it's a little bit off the beat. We can help set things in the body and in the liver, the critical um, metabolic organ that does the detoxification that is so critical to so much of the body, the liver doesn't get it to do. And all of that can be actually fixed and actually just amazingly reset by eating at the right time, eating to what I call nurturing the gut microbiome, and then resetting the clocks of the different organs because of the signals that come from the short-chain fatty acids, these metabolic byproducts that are made by fermenting the food we eat. So it is complex, but that's why I did it in the book with a week-by-week, step-by-step, you know, here's your shopping list, here's what you do, so that it really makes it into a manageable kind of a thing. But I want like all of your listeners, I like all of my patients to really understand, like I encourage reading and learning, but I know I don't just say, do what I say. I say, understand what you're doing. That's how people get motivated. That's how they take really control of their health is by understanding what's the process that's going on in their body and how we're trying to repair it and get them back to a state of what we call metabolic homeostasis, where mm-hmm. things are really aligned with the way nature intended. I love how you frame that all for us. Uh, it, you're right, knowledge is power. And having that knowledge is really empowering. It really makes you want to eat more fiber and want to eat more plant food to bring uh, this homeostasis um, uh, into play. I think that it's very disempowering when we go to our doctor and they say, you know, lose some weight, go on a low carb diet and mm-hmm. take this pill. Um, <laughs> yes. It's, yeah. it's very um, disempowering in the extreme. And, um, you know, we talk about, you and I talk all the time, Amy, about how the conventional medical approach ignores what's really going on in the body and just seeks to come up with some way to cover up some of the symptoms while never addressing the real root causes of what's going on in the body to heal from within. And that is so disturbing to me. That's why I just love, I always love our conversations. Oh, me too. I'm so grateful for you. Uh, I want to give listeners a tip that you talk about in your book for kind of adding in more fiber. And you are a big proponent of beans and lentils. 
um, I love beans too. Bean dips like hummus and and like a, I love a like white bean dip with um, kind of kind of little. I can never say it right. <laughs> cannellini <laughs> beans and um, garlic and rosemary. It's just so delicious and a great uh, way to add fiber into your diet. They also have a lot of phytonutrients. So. Tell us kind of um, how many beans we should be eating daily and uh, maybe a, a few more of the benefits. Well, I just love beans as well. And there's so many amazing recipes. You can get, um, get them from so many books, right? And also from online. And so beans come in a variety of types. And there's actually been quite a bit of research on beans and their relationship to improving the health of the gut microbiome. Like one of the ones that garbanzo, which are also known as chickpeas, there's actually a lot of research. I mean, it's amazing that people like healthcare professionals don't know this, that there's data to show that you can dramatically improve the gut microbiome from by eating beans. And so they have different types of fibers. Some of it is like soluble fiber. And um, it's just amazing how the microbes just love eating it up. And like you said, it, of course, it has other vital nutrients. It's not just a piece of fiber, which is why I don't like just giving like some kind of fiber, synthetic fiber supplement. There's always magic in food. And I do use plenty of supplements, but that's why I like the word supplement. It's supplemental to the diet. You can't just live off of supplements. You need to get the beautiful combination of all the, the blends of fibers and nutrients and polyphenols and vitamins and everything that come from things like beans. Now, I also want to, I want to mention soy because soy is a bean and poor soy. You know, I'm always having to defend estrogen. I have to defend soy. I have to defend fiber, you know, because a lot of people don't understand it. So soy, when eaten whole as the bean, which is often known as edamame, so the soy bean, and also it's sort of unprocessed types of forms like the tofu, the miso, the tempeh, when you eat soy that's whole and organic, and I emphasize and emphasize and emphasize organic because we do not want to have the herbicides, the GMO, the glyphosate that comes on the, um, the conventional type soy or processed soy, like soy pretending to be something it isn't, like a hot dog or a burger or some other you know, cheese or something. We want soy only in those whole forms. It's actually a fertility food. It has, it's like a phytoestrogen. It helps work in the gut on the the beta estrogen receptors, and it actually helps to align with the microbes and actually is beneficial, as are flax seeds um, as a, phyto, a phytoestrogen. So these are really important things to know. So don't, like, don't think that soy is a problem. Now, like any food, some people have allergic reactions or something, but so I'm talking once again in generality. So I say, just like I say, eat across the colors of the rainbow with vegetables, I like to say eat across across the, the different types, it's not colors, but eat across the whole variety of beans. Try them all out, like, um, you know, black beans, pinto beans, cannelloni, cannellini, you know, garbanzo. So try all these different types of beans that each one of them has its own special, unique mm. benefits. And so people who don't have the healthiest gut microbiome, sometimes they don't have the right guys there to ferment properly. And so sometimes they get GI distress when they eat really healthy foods. 
that doesn't mean the food is disagreeing with you like permanently or you have no ability to eat this food. It means that you have to nurture your gut microbiome to grow in the right directions and populations so that it can then actually ferment these wonderful foods. So if you have been living on what we call the SAD diet, the standard American diet, with very, very low fiber. Like in ancient societies, people ate 100 to 150 grams of fiber a day. Often Americans eat like less than 10. And the government like says, well, you know, eat 25 or 35, you know, and, and that's really not enough really to give uh, your healthy microbes, you know, what they need. So, you know, but you may have to go slowly. So start with, if you really eat some beans and you just say, whoa, I'm having so much GI distress, then take a couple of tablespoons, work up to half a cup. You know, I would love for people to have at least one cup of beans every single day. I mean, personally, I could eat probably, a, you know, like a salad bowl full, you know, because I'm so used to them. And to me, like they just the, to me, they taste like candy. I mean, because I love them. To me, they have, when you put them with um, some really high quality vinegar and oils and all those herbs that you mentioned, I mean, it's like, they are fabulous. So, but work your way up. And that's why we kind of like start slow. And, you know, sometimes that, that motto, start slow, go slow. So see how your own body reacts. And that's why we start with less and then go up. But I would love for people to incorporate as much as they can every day. It's also, by the way, a wonderful source of protein. And a lot of people don't realize that there's a lot of protein in beans and they have and lentils. And what they have found is that the musculoskeletal system, like bones, that actually you have less osteoporosis from eating proteins from plant-based sources than from animal sources. Like how, you know, amazing, great news is that? So you're actually going to be healthier when you have a predominantly plant-based diet and you get so much fiber and so much protein from these beans. Mm. So I had mentioned endocrine disruptors. I think that I'm going to you know, let people kind of pick up your book. They could check out my Sparkle program. We talk, I, we talk about endocrine disruptors there um, because we're, we're running low on time. And I wanted to hit a couple other topics that I thought would be interesting to um, listeners. Aromatherapy. I thought that some of the uh, studies that you had listed about the benefits of aromatherapy was really interesting because I think of um, aromatherapy as something that's so easy and uh, enjoyable, and it's a great way to um, help with PCOS, and I'm going to let you share um, how that can help. Well... It's once again, harnessing the beautiful innate healing properties of plants. And, and, you know, I've actually, even since the book, I've actually gone and tried to learn more about aromatherapy. I'm so fascinating, fascinated with it. So if you know about how the oils are made and there's the other side, the water side, the hydrosol. So I just want to explain that a little bit. And a lot of the, uh, the newest knowledge is that when you create essential oils, it's traditionally a distilled process. And so on the one side, you get the oils and the other side, you get the, the water, which is called the hydrosols. Now the oils 
are very powerful medicine because they are very concentrated. So when you use essential oils, you only want to use a very few drops. And there are some wonderful different recipes that we know that you can blend different types of essential oils. So if you're just starting out, the most, uh, we'll call it the universal essential oil is lavender. So lavender um, has so many benefits. It's, it's accommodative. It helps people with sleep. It's actually antimicrobial. You can put it on you know, infections. It actually can help with skin, with acne. And it is wonderful for um, just, you can put some in a bath and you can soak and you can be so calm and relaxed. The hydrosols, the water portion is, um, you can just spray it on anything. You can spray it on your hair, you can spray it on your pillow. And it also has all these wonderful benefits. And, and you know, they have these little side benefits, like it's good for if you get a rash, it's good if you get a mosquito bite. So all these different types of things. And the, then you have all these other essential oils and, and like neem, which is very antimicrobial. You can put that in a mask, like if you do a clay mask and instead of using water, like if you have acne, which of course is such a prevalent problem for women with PCOS, you can mix in with neem oil, which is an Indian plant. And they, that can really help with acne. So I think becoming proficient in some of the basics. And you can also get blends. In my office, I have some blends like that are calming that you can actually dab on, you can roll so that you can sleep better. So essential oils have been shown that they can help with libido, they can help with stress and tension and insomnia and depression. Like one of my favorites now is bergamot, you can, which is a Mediterranean citrus fruit. And you can put just a few drops on a handkerchief, put it in a Ziploc baggie. And anytime you're feeling blue, you just open up that Ziploc baggie and just take a few sniffs of, of your bergamot essential oil handkerchief and you'll feel better. We know that- Or drink some you, Earl Grey tea like I'm doing right now. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And you can get bergamot in your Earl Grey tea. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And what we know about like the, the olfactory system of the body has never been really appreciated by conventional medicine. That the olf, you know, the, that, that particular sense has been kind of forgotten, right? It's like, hmm, we don't pay much attention. But we know that when people get old, often when they smell something, it actually brings back memories. Even people have dementia, that we have amazing memory for smells. And when you smell something, when it goes in through sniffing, and you know these um, wonderful scents that it goes right into the limbic system of the brain, which deals with emotions. So you can actually really affect emotions tremendously through these essential oils. So I mean, this is um, you know I hope that you know when you read the book, you'll you know see. I just wanted to add things that because it's I have become so enamored with essential oils that I'm on my own personal journey to keep learning more about it and more ways to use it because, you know, it just also came out with COVID, right? That a lot of people lose their sense of smell, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's sort of like, sort of our sense of smell has come back a little bit into the forefront of how important it is. And so everyone should take a little side journey into learning about essential oils and how we can harness these amazing properties in our brain through the limbic system 
to affect our emotions. And we now know that emotions affect everything. I mean, you, you can't underestimate how powerful emotions are in terms of how every organ in the body functions. In fact, women have this condition, it's mostly in women, 80%, that's called broken heart syndrome, where a big powerful emotion can actually trigger vasoconstriction, like narrowing of the small blood vessels in the heart that can actually, actually trigger an arrhythmia, it can actually trigger heart failure, or it can trigger what looks just like and actually functionally is just like a heart attack and has nothing to do with plaque in the arteries. It's purely an emotion type based reaction in the heart. So when you talk about the heart and the heart as the center of the emotions of a woman, it actually is. <laughs> so yeah. that, you know, so essential oils are a fabulous tool to help basically everyone and particularly women with PCOS. Well, thank you for that. I will, I will point out that uh, I developed a essential oils course with uh, a Dr. Megan Kirschling. She's a, Wonderful. yeah. So if you are interested in, in more about how to use essential oils for specific PCOS symptoms, check that out. But uh, Dr. Gersh, I want to just address one more topic before we have to go. And I, we kind of giggled about uh, using, you know, caffeine and coffee to get us through the morning and, and midday till it's time for wine. Um, you know, I think a lot of us, you know, enjoy a glass of wine, um, you know, with dinner or um, relaxing with friends um, or other types of alcohol. Uh, you have been somebody that has really opened my eyes to uh, maybe the, the dark side <laughs> of alcohol, especially if you're using it on, on a regular basis. And you share that in your book. And I was wondering if you could just kind of share that information to enlighten and, and empower us to make, um, you know, informed decisions for ourselves. Sure. Well, you know, they've now shown that in pregnancy, there's actually no safe minimum amount of alcohol. And they're really, we need to rethink alcohol. When they've talked about the health benefits, they're really talking, you know, they're talking about resveratrol, the, that magical polyphenol that comes in red grapes in particular, but it could be other grapes as well. But when they did a study, it was actually in um, Spain where they actually compared non-alcoholic wine to alcoholic wine they found that the wine with the alcohol was universally harmful in a variety of ways. And all the benefits that derived from wine that people talked about really did not come from the alcohol. It came from the, the portion that is non-alcoholic from the, the grapes and the resveratrol. So there's no benefit to alcohol. So alcohol is a direct neurotoxin. That means it harms neurological tissue, that's what the brain is. And also our gut has, sometimes they talk about that as the second brain, the enteric nervous system. So alcohol is directly toxic to the neurological system of our gut, which is so critical for how the gut works. It's a direct toxin to the liver. And women with PCOS have very high rates of fatty liver. And so this is like the last thing they need 
And it's also toxic to the gut microbiome. It's like they're running around like dizzy, like I'm a drunk little microbiome. We do not want that. <laughs> so, um, you know, just, I always picture, you know, I love to picture things because I love like, um, you know, guided imagery. So I'm always like getting these images in my head. So I see all these little, these little one-celled organisms and they're all drunk inside of our gut. You know, it's like, do you want that picture inside of you? You know, how are they gonna know what to do? You know, they're not gonna do their jobs right. So um, we just have to let go of alcohol as PCOS women. Now that said, if you get everything under control and you're ovulating regularly and your weight is right and you're not insulin resistant and you've gotten everything together, then you have a celebration. You can have your little glass of champagne you know, or a special occasion. So, but when you're trying to get healthy, you know, because you're really coming from a place that's still health challenged. When you are interested in optimizing your fertility, please find other ways to celebrate. Now, one of the things that I have found is really amazing is that you can take sparkling water like um, Pellegrino, which has a lot of wonderful minerals in it. And then you can add a fruit vinegar. Like, of course, you can do apple cider vinegar. That always gets a lot of press but you could also do like blueberry vinegar or, or strawberry vinegar. These are like specialty vinegars. And you put, you know, like maybe a tablespoon in this glass of sparkling water. You could put it in a wine glass. It looks pretty. You know, That's a really color. a great <laughs> idea. And I have, I kind of, I have like an obsession with flavored vinegars. Oh, so I'm too. thinking, <laughs> and I, I am thinking right now, like in my cabinet, I have peach vinegar. I have pineapple vinegar. Oh, uh, I have a cranberry <laughs> pear, like all of those sound good. You know what I've been doing lately? Um, Cause I got into a little habit of having like my five o'clock glass of wine to unwind and I needed to get off of it, but I still needed to kind of feed the habit, I guess, in some way. Um, so I've been drinking, uh, I dilute kombucha tea oh, with mineral water thing. and you definitely get, I mean, it has that fermented taste mm-hmm. and like yeah. vinegar. Um, and I still feel like I'm having a little celebratory drink because I got it through yeah. the day. <laughs> you know, and um, the thing that's so, so wonderful with these is that if you um, put it in like a pretty, you know, wine glass, if you have, you know, the, the Waterford, put it in the crystal and make it look so pretty because, you know, mm-hmm. presentation really changes how we perceive things. And then, um, but when you do it with like these wonderful vinegars, like you mentioned, and I want to try, I haven't had the pineapple vinegar. But when you do that, they actually are improving your, they're like apertifs in, in that they, they improve your appetite and they actually start getting your digestion going because they're like, they're wonderful and they help regulate blood sugar. So these are, you know, there's no, all the side effects are benefits. That's what I love about oh my gosh. natural well, this thing. Is- the best tip that I've come across in a long time. So I can't wait to try that. (laughs) Um, Thank you so much for taking the time out of, you know, you're, I know you're such a busy woman, you're jet setting, you know, all over the place, uh, giving talks about women's hormones, but uh, you also have a practice. um, And I was wondering if you could tell our listeners more about how they might be able to work with you. Well, I am still an old-fashioned doctor. That's my main job. So I have a practice. It's called the Integrative Medical Group of Irvine in Southern California, Irvine, California. 
So I see patients five days a week in my office and you know, I do physical exams. I do everything that a typical gynecologist does, but then we do more. In my office, we actually have a gym. We actually do fitness classes. We do fitness assessments. I have vascular ultrasound so that we can assess in the appropriate people what the state of their, their health or their cardiovascular system. We have massage therapy. We do essential oils. We do, um, we do um, biofeedback. We do a lot with bio, like what I would call it mind-body medicine. So we do all these different things. And then for patients who can't really make the journey to Irvine, then we do telemedicine and we can do a lot. And if I can't... Um, prescribed because it's across state lines. I can create a treatment plan that you can then take to your own doctor. I can order labs and we can do a lot with telemedicine. In California, I can actually treat you 100% in terms of I can prescribe, I can do you know all the different things. But in across state lines, I can do everything except prescribed pharmaceuticals. But since I try to avoid prescribing pharmaceuticals, exactly. that usually isn't a big problem because, you know, we can talk about another time, like we were talking about all the, the negatives of the pharmaceuticals. That's a huge, huge area of interest for both of us. And so that's not my first line of treatment for the vast majority of my patients anyway. So with telemedicine, I can accomplish a great deal with people in the U.S. or even now on any continent in the, on the planet. Oh, that, that's so fantastic. Cause I know uh, in years past um, when I've talked to you, you're, you're so limited and you're such a trailblazer for women with PCOS and um, you know, just to let people know that you have PCOS too. So, you know, the struggles <laughs> um, and you have overcome them. Uh, and you've written about it in your, your two books, PCOS SOS, and again, PCOS SOS Fertility Fast Track. And I really encourage you to pick up a copy of those books. They're available on Amazon and, um, and Kindle as well. So thank you, Dr. Gersh, for joining us again and sharing your, your wonderful wisdom with us. It's always a pleasure, and it's just a joy to have this time to talk to you and to talk to all of your very avid and devoted listeners. And to all my listeners, thank you for tuning in again. And I look forward to being with you again soon. up our podcast today. Thank you so much for joining us on the PCOS Diva podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you liked this episode, remember to subscribe to PCOS Diva on iTunes or wherever else you may be listening to this show. And if you have a minute, please leave me a quick review on iTunes because I love to hear from you. If you think someone else might benefit from this free podcast, please take a minute to share it with a friend or family member so she can benefit from it too. And don't forget to sign up for my free weekly newsletter. Just enter your email at PCOSDiva.com to get instant access and make sure you never miss a future podcast. This is Amy Medling wishing you good health. Bye-bye.